Well, good morning again. It is great to see you here on this first Sunday in January. After several weeks of being away from our study in the book of Philippians, we're going to reconnect uh, this morning with our series of messages that we have entitled, Life Doesn't Have to be Perfect to be Wonderful. And you know, that's a, that's a good word on this first Sunday of a brand new year. It's a good word for us individually. It's a good word for us collectively as the body of Christ here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. Now, we have been spending several weeks already looking at some essential biblical and theological foundations that are critical for us to build into our lives and to continually be building into our lives because this is the only way we're ever going to experience the reality of life being wonderful even when it's not perfect. Now, we've been away from our study for a while. I wish I had time to go back and go into a lot of detail about those first foundations we've looked at. I don't, but I've included them there for you in your message notes, so I encourage you to look at them. I'll just mention them briefly. Our first foundation was all about my posture before Christ, and Paul said as he began his letter, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul saw everything in life through the lens of his slavery to Jesus Christ, and so must we if life is going to be wonderful. That was foundation number one. Foundation number two was all about my position in Christ. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And foundation number two was all about what it means to be a saint, to be set apart from something and to be set apart by God for his eternal purposes. And we spent a lot of time talking about that. This morning, we come to the third critical foundation that we must build into our lives if life is going to be wonderful, even if it's not perfect. And this third foundation is all about my provision from Christ. My posture before Christ, foundation number one, my position in Christ, foundation number two, but my provision from Christ is foundation number three. And this provision now, and there are two parts to it, two parts to it is what really is going to enable me to embrace the posture of a servant and it is what is going to enable me to take on the position of a saint. Without this third foundation, the other two foundations really aren't possible. Let me tell you why this is important. These provisions are important. They are important because... It is not easy to take on the posture of a servant. It is not easy to embrace the position of a saint. I wish I could tell you this morning that it would be easy to do that, that everyone would applaud you for doing that. I wish I could tell you that you would never have any struggles if you do that. And I wish I could tell you that you would always see the benefits 
in, the, in the, this present life of doing that, but I can't. This is not easy. Can we begin not 2019 by telling you that living the Christian life is hard? I wish I could tell you otherwise. And I think where we get into trouble sometimes as the people of God is we somehow think it ought to be easy. God, if I, if I live for you, you know, you ought to lay out this primrose pathway for me. You ought to smooth out the journey. No. It is hard, and many times I am convinced from my own experience that it is harder because I embrace the posture of a servant. It is harder because I embrace the position of a saint. This is not easy. It is going to be hard, and that is why I'm going to need some help. That is why you're going to need some help, and God knows that. He knows if you're going to be successful at this, you're going to need some help beyond yourself, and that is why he makes these provisions available to us. There are two of them, and we read about them here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Let me just go back and read the whole thing. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, that is my posture before Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, that is my position in Christ. Now watch this in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In this single verse, verse 2, Paul gives us the two provisions that God makes available to us that makes it possible for us to live a wonderful life even if life is not perfect. These two things are, number one, the grace of God. And number two, what? The peace of God. That's what he says, right? Grace to you, provision number one, and Peace to you, provision number two. Now, this morning, our focus is going to be on the grace of God. One of the essential foundations that I must build my life upon. Let me tell you something. If I do not live my... I'm going I'm to speak about myself, okay? I can't put myself in your shoes, but I'm going to tell you my experience in life. If I don't live my life daily drawing on the grace of God, then life will never be wonderful for me. It will never be joyful for me. It will never be supernatural for me because without the grace of God, the pressures and the problems and the painful experiences of life will chew me up and spit me out every single time. I want you to hear something. Maybe you've heard it before. But it's okay, we can hear it again, right? You understand, I trust, that the same heat that can melt wax and turn it into a useless puddle can also harden clay and turn it into a vessel of great beauty 
and usefulness. The difference is what goes into the fire. Are you with me? The difference is what goes into the fire. And God has given you, He has given me a resource through Jesus Christ that enables us to go through that fire and that provision, that resource, is the grace of God. If there is one thing, church, that I believe we need to learn about, perhaps more than any other single thing, when it comes to living a victorious Christian life, we need to learn about the grace of God. Now, we talk about grace... We've sung about grace this morning, right? I mean, the most well-known Christian song in all the world is amazing what? Amazing grace. But the question is, what is grace? What is grace? I want to try to give you a couple of definitions this morning that may help you. Now, some of you may have heard some definitions in the past. They're, they're very good ones. Grace, basically, some people have said is, is uh, unmerited favor, and that's true. Maybe some of you have seen the little acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that. But I want to try to give you something this morning that speaks into the reality of your life in a way that you can grab hold on to. So let me give you a couple of definitions this morning. Here's definition number one. Grace is God doing for me what I have no conceivable possibility of doing for myself. That's grace. It is God doing for me what I have no conceivable possibility of doing for myself. It is impossible for me to do it for myself. Only God can do it for me. That is grace. That's, that's one definition. Let me expand on it a little bit. This may not be a, a, another definition as much as it is a, maybe a clarification of the first one. Number two, grace is God's supernatural intervention to my circumstances that enables me to do something or be something that I could never do or be on my own. Let me say that again. Grace is God's supernatural intervention into my circumstances that enables me to be something or something I could never be or do on my own. That's grace. Now, the Bible talks about two different kinds of grace. And I want to look at those with you this morning. I'm, I'm giving you a few different definitions this morning, but it's important that we understand what we're talking about when we're talking about grace. And it's important that we understand the kind of grace that we're talking about when we talk about grace. There are two kinds of grace. The first kind of grace, and quite frankly, the kind of grace that most of us think about most often is called saving grace. Saving grace. Saving grace is when God comes alongside of me and he shines light 
of the truth of the gospel into my heart so that I, a sinner who deserves absolutely nothing from God, receives Jesus Christ as my Savior, eternal life is my inheritance, and heaven as my home. That is saving grace. It's the kind of grace we read about here in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let me read this passage for you. It's from the Passion Translation. I like it. Paul writing says, For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in Him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. This is saving grace, church. It is God's what we could not do for ourselves, what we do not deserve. And that's why when we get to heaven, there's not a single one of us that's going to be able to say, I did it. I made it. No. When we get to heaven, we will be there reason and one reason only. And that is the grace of God. And most of us understand that. But what many of us do not understand is that the grace of God is not just what will get us into heaven. It is also the great provision that God makes available to us that will enable us to be victorious in life right here on earth, especially when life isn't perfect. Now this is the second kind of grace. Not saving grace. This second kind of grace is called sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. This is the kind of grace Paul talks about in Philippians 1, 2 when he says, grace to you. Or, May grace be yours. Listen, this is important. Paul was not writing to unbelievers who desperately needed to experience the saving grace of God. No. He was writing to believers who desperately needed to experience the sustaining grace of God as they dealt with the pressures and the problems, painful experiences of life. The same kinds of things that you and I deal with. So let me give you a couple more definitions. <laughs> Some definitions of sustaining grace. Okay, I want you to understand what this sustaining, we're not talking about saving grace. If you're a believer this morning, if you're a Christian, you've already experienced God's saving grace. It's a one-time thing that happens to you when you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That saving grace is applied to your life. Sustaining grace is we have to grow in and appropriate and claim and experience day by day, sometimes moment by moment. So let me give you a couple of definitions of sustaining grace. Here's the first one. Sustaining grace, grace 
is when God does not change my circumstances. Instead, He changes me. Now, let that sink in just a minute. Sustaining grace is when God doesn't change my circumstances. Instead, changes me. He breaks through my darkness. He shines the light of his peace into my heart. He invades the madness of the storm. He brings a calm to my soul. He wipes the tears away. That's sustaining grace. Sustaining grace happens when things don't get better. In fact, they may get worse. But I get better. That's sustaining grace. Sustaining grace is when God changes. He changes my attitude, replacing the despair with hope, the uncertainty with assurance, the pain with joy. This is sustaining grace. Second definition, and I like this one even better because it's more of a picture. Sustaining grace is what someone has called God's second wind. You understand that imagery, don't you? From the world of the athlete, the runner. Most marathon you that somewhere along the 15th, 16th mile of, of that 26-mile race, they hit what they commonly call the wall. And they feel like they just cannot keep on going. Their muscles are, are trembling. Their lungs are burning. They want to quit. They want to drop out. But marathon runners will tell you that if they just keep going, if they will just press on, then something happens along the way and they get what is called this second wind, this renewed burst of energy, this feeling of, yes, I'm going to make it and press on, and they can persevere and they can finish. Sustaining Grace Church is what, God, is what gives me the ability to persevere. It gives me the ability to stand firm, to hang in there when life throws its worst at me. It's what gives me the ability to do what we talked about last week if you were here. Rise up on wings like eagles to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. Now, we can talk about this sustaining grace all day long. But as has been said, it is worth a thousand words, right? So let me show you something this morning that I think will help you. It certainly helps me. This sustaining grace that Paul talks about here in Philippians 1-2 is something he had personally experienced in his own life many times. But I want us to look at one particular of that sustaining grace as it is found in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to, to, to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The verses are there in your message guide, but I'd like for you to look, look at them in your own copy of God's Word as they are there. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to need this sustaining grace of God. So I want to begin reading chapter, uh, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I'm reading here from the Evangelical Heritage Version. I like this particular translation here. 
Uh, Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, follow along with me. Paul says, Therefore, keep me from becoming arrogant due to the extraordinary nature of these revelations. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he would take it away from me. And he said to me, watch this now, my grace. He's talking about sustaining grace. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will be glad to boast all the more in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may shelter me. That is why I delight in weaknesses, in in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Now, very quickly this morning, I want to point out several things that Paul is saying to us in these verses that help us understand what's of God is and why we need it so desperately. Four things very quickly. Number one, life is hard. Is this a new truth to anybody this morning? Life is hard. Life can be very hard. Difficult and painful experiences. Life can be full of problems and pressures. That is the reality of life. Paul knew that from his own experience because he tells us that there was something in his life that was causing him great distress, that was causing him great pain. Paul describes it as a thorn. Question Have you ever really been stuck by a thorn? I mean, deep. And that hurts. Bad. <laughs> Hard to believe a little thing can hurt that badly when it really digs into you. But the picture Paul is painting here is really more significant even. The word he uses here, translated thorn, that's that's an appropriate translation. But it could also be translated nail or even stake. See, this wasn't some little irritation in Paul's life. It was a brutal painful experience that he was having to endure. Now, we don't know exactly what it was. Some Bible scholars have suggested that maybe Paul suffered from some painful eye disorder. Others have suggested that perhaps he had some speech problem. Still others think he suffered from malaria or disease that he picked up during his missionary travels. We know that Paul had been beaten. We know he'd been stoned. We know he'd suffered all kinds of ill treatment. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been exposed to all kinds of terrible things, including imprisonment. He was writing Philippians from a prison cell. Paul could have had almost any kind of physical problem because of the experiences he had been through. We also know Paul had been falsely accused of a lot of things. Other believers had conspired against him. We'll see that as we move through the book of Philippians. He had been deserted by his friends, had even deserted him. So this could have been some kind of emotional or psychological or even spiritual issue that Paul was dealing with. We don't know what it was, but whatever it was, there was something in Paul's life that hurt. There was some pain and distress that would not go away even though Paul had pleaded with God to take it away. So can we all agree that life can be very hard sometimes? 
We're all going to go through difficult experiences. We're all going to have thorns, right? And go to a thorn called a job. I'm serious. Some people don't have a job, and that's a thorn. For some folks, their marriage is a thorn. Other people aren't married. Some of us may have children who are thorns. Maybe it's a health thorn or a financial thorn or a relationship thorn. Maybe there's some mistake you made in your past that continues to haunt you, and that is your kinds of thorns, but they all hurt, and sometimes it seems like they will never go away. Life can be and often is hard. That is the reality of life. So Paul is telling us that. Second thing Paul is telling us, and this, <laughs> this should not surprise us, but sometimes we ask, Christians are not exempt from thorns. Can I just tell you that? Christians are not exempt from thorns. Again, in this passage, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. Paul was not a carnal person. He had a passion for God, but even Paul had a thorn. This is a newsflash this morning. Ready? Newsflash. People who love God, people who serve God, people who live for God still get thorns. Let me show you a verse here. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Peter writing, dear friends, don't shock that you were going through testing that is like walking through fire. Peter says, don't be surprised by that. Don't think that it can't happen to you just because you pray, just because you go to church, just because you read your Bible, just follow Jesus. Don't think you're exempt from the hard, painful fiery experiences of life. God never promised you that. Thirdly, sometimes my most painful experiences, I least expect them. And I might add from sources that I least expected to receive them from. Now, in order to see this, you need to look back to the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 because when Paul talked about his thorn in the context of an incredible experience that he had had, look at verses 2 through 4 here of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now, the man Paul is talking about here, when he says, I know a man, the man Paul is talking about is himself. Paul is describing for us here an experience, a journey that took him to a place he calls the third heaven. Now, in Hebrew thought, ancient Hebrew thought, there were three distinct heavens. There was, first of all, the atmospheric heaven, the heaven you can see with your eyes, the heaven of the blue sky and the clouds in the air. The heaven that we might call the stellar heaven, the heaven of the stars and the planets and the galaxies. But then there was this third heaven, 
a place Paul also calls paradise. This heaven is the throne room of God. God dwells. This is the place you and I will go after we die if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the heaven Paul went to while he was still alive. Paul is the only man we know who had the privilege of going into that heaven and then returning to talk about it. Now, he could have told us about that experience anywhere in all of his writings. But he tells us about it right here in the same chapter where he talks about his thorn. In fact, if you will look at verse 7, you will see that it is precisely because of this experience Paul began to suffer from that thorn. Paul says, I got this thorn so I wouldn't become arrogant. God gave me this painful experience right after I went to the third heaven so I wouldn't get the big head, so I wouldn't think I was somebody special, so I wouldn't think I was exempt from tough stuff. And you know what? That's when many of us get our thorns too and we struggle with that. God, I don't understand. I don't, I, I, God, I just don't understand this. I have been trying harder than I have ever tried to live for you. I have tried to do exactly, God, what I'm telling me to do. I was walking with you, God, and the journey was great. It was wonderful. Things couldn't be any better. And then, God, out of nowhere, when I least expected it, and from a place where I never saw it coming, wham! It with this thorn, this pressure, this problem. This painful experience in life. Listen, if it happened to Paul, it can happen to you. It can happen to me. This is the most important thing you can see from this text. And this is why you need the sustaining grace of God. This is why I need the sustaining grace of God. You ready? Number four. Satan is always waiting in the brain. Man, he hangs out there. Look at verse 7 again here. Paul doesn't identify his thorn. We don't know exactly what that was. And I'm glad, in a way, because it could have been anything, and, and so we're able to identify. He doesn't identify his thorn, but he does identify something else. A satanic messenger whose purpose it was to take that thorn and use it to cause Paul, look at the word, tor torment. So see, church, we're not just talking about a thorn. We're, we're not just talking about the problems and the pressures and the painful experiences of life. We're talking about what Satan can do and wants to do and will do with those problems and pressures and painful experiences in that. Let me tell you something. Satan wants to take that thorn in your life, whatever it is, and he wants to use it to absolutely torment you. He wants to use it to undermine your faith. He wants to use it to make you doubt God. He wants to use it to cause you not to want to pray. He wants to take that thorn and use it to batter you into a position of absolute physical, emotional, and spiritual despair. 
That is his job. That is his purpose. That is his objective. God knows that. The provision of his sustaining grace. But now here's our problem. Here's what we want. The thorn away. Right? We want God to take the problem away, the pressure away, the painful experience away. You know, we say, God, I could do a lot better for you without this. In fact, everybody around me could do better if you take this thing away. So I'm asking you, take this thing away. Now, in verse 8, we read that Paul pleaded with God to take his thorn away. That's okay. Nothing wrong with asking for the problem or the spirit away because sometimes, praise God, he will do that. But God's answer to Paul's prayer and many times his answer to our prayer is not it is to do something else this is his provision for the pressures problems and painful experiences of life verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 the first part Paul says and God said to me my grace is sufficient Paul I'm not going to take the thorn away not going to give you what you asked for. But I'm going to give you what you need, and it will be sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you, perfect in weakness. Now, let me ask you a question this morning, and will you be brutally honest? Don't, don't answer me out loud. Just be brutally honest. How many of you, if you knew that would be the answer to your prayer for God to take away your thorn, if you knew, because that's not what you want. That's not what you're asking God for, right? God, I'm asking you to take away this problem. God, I'm asking you to take away this pressure. God, I'm asking you to take away this pain in my life. Don't talk to me about grace, okay? Just get me out of this situation. Paul said, Lord, take away this thorn. In fact, he said it three times, and I think he probably said it a lot more than that. God said, Paul, no, I'm not going to give you what you asked for. I'll give you what you need. My sustaining grace, it will not, it will change you. It won't impact what's going on out there, but it will absolutely and completely revolutionize and transform what's going on. So what's Paul's assessment of this? Well, look at verse 9 again, the last part. Paul says, Therefore, I will boast. This is one of the most amazing verses in all. Damn. The most incredible, amazing Awesome, 
unbelievable verses in all of Scripture. Right here, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, the last part. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ brag about how weak he is, how unable and incapable he is of dealing with this thing in his life. You know, most people I know want to brag about their strengths. They want to brag about what they can do, right? They want to brag about what they can accomplish. Let me brag about what I can't do. Let me brag about some things that I absolutely can't handle. All of the things that defy my abilities, why in the world would Paul brag about that? It's because every single one of us here this morning need to discover if we haven't discovered it yet. And it is a radical truth. You just fill in the blanks here. Here is a radical truth. According to Paul, according to God's Word. It is and experience God's strength than it is for me to live without a thorn and only experience my own strength. Am I absolute weakest that I will get in on experiencing God at his absolute strongest. That is a radical way to look at life. But Christianity is radical. Following Jesus Christ is radical. It not only changes you, but it ought to change the way you look at your life and everything in your That is why I delight in weaknesses. Isn't that something? I delight in weaknesses, in insults. Incredible. I delight in, how can you see that? I delight in persecutions. Sounds like a crazy man. I delight in difficulties for the sake of Christ. He lost his mind, hadn't he? He has come to this one final conclusion. Look at it at the end of the verse. For whenever I am weak, then and then alone I am strong. Sustaining grace of God. Are you feeling weak this morning? Maybe you're about to become stronger than you've ever been. Do things feel like they're falling apart for you this morning? Maybe you're about to build the greatest structure you've ever built. But you've got to learn how to look at life differently. You've got to learn how to draw on this sustaining grace of God. He will always give you what you 
need His sustaining grace. His power made complete, made perfect in your weakness. You'll never take on the position of a saint. You'll never be able to deal with the pressures and the problems and the painful experiences of life and come through those victoriously and joyfully if you don't learn how to draw on the sustaining of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we all know the reality that life can be hard. We all know, Lord, that following You is not easy. We understand that there are pressures and problems and painful experiences in life for all of us. And God, more importantly, you know that. And you make available these provisions. This morning, your grace, your strength, made perfect in our weakness. Thank you for that, Lord. May we draw on it this morning, whatever you need to be this morning, Lord, for someone here to come and say, Oh, I need that grace. If there's someone here this morning who doesn't know Christ and needs that saving grace, first of all, Lord, I pray that person would come. Take my hand and say, Pastor, I need, I need to know Christ. I need, I need to know that I'm in right relationship with you. We all need grace this morning. We either need saving grace or we need sustaining grace or we need both. So help us, Lord, this morning to not walk out of these doors without laying hold of this great provision. Quickly here, uh, during this hymn, have an opportunity. If I can pray with you, if you want to come to this altar, this is your time before we head to our life groups to respond as God speaks to you. You come right now. It's Kevin Lee.